Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumb Cast. In this, the high noon of season five, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on every goddamn page of MT2, the Weird Weird West, the second in a trio of time travel adventures for TSR's Marvel Superheroes RPG. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Weird Weird West was written by Ray Winninger and published in 1989 by TSR. Today we're discussing page 22. This page begins chapter 11, entitled Traveling Cross Country. Do you remember the episode from this season when I was drinking the little bottled Moscow Mules? And I was clarifying, like, not a real Moscow Mule. Like, this isn't such a swanky podcast that I'm mixing myself drinks, like proper highballs, while I'm podcasting. Well, if you check the visual companion today, you will find that I have made myself an honest-to-God Moscow Mule with the copper cup and everything in celebration slash trepidation about this chapter. There is so much to talk about. There is so much to keep track of for players, for the judge, for the podcaster, who's so rarely considered in the writing of game books from Jesus Christ over 30 years ago. All right, let's get into it. The story so far. Our heroes, Ford's Furies, the Secret Zoomers, the Misfits, the West Coast Avengers, whoever's playing through this adventure. The super team has been through many trials. They barely got their time machine started this morning. It's been one of those days. It seems that all of time is collapsing in the vicinity of Dodge City in 1871. So our heroes traveled to 1871. They put on their cowboy hats. They strapped on their six shooters. They walked out of their time machine into the Old West and were immediately attacked by dinosaurs and dinosaur-adjacent creatures. Now, having escaped all that, with more or fewer bruises, depending upon the team and the approach that they took, our super team now knows that the Crowzar, a group of rubber-skinned sci-fi monster lizard people, plan to set off a doomsday weapon called a Beta Bomb in the mountains near Dodge City, destroying everyone near it. And the only way to stop them is to convince Napoleon Bonaparte, Alexander the Great, and Genghis Khan to join forces to stop fighting each other and start fighting the real threat, the rubber threat, the crows are. If you consult the Overland map, which is now available to the player characters as well, and I'll put an image of it up on the uh, visual companion on patreon.com slash megadumbcast, free for everyone, you'll see this map, this Overland map that we're going to be talking about for a few days, and you'll see that, well, you won't, because unhelpfully, the domains of Alexander, Napoleon, and Genghis Khan, which are known to the player characters, are not, in fact, marked on their version of the map, but I'll, I'll draw them in or something. Anyway, they're all up along the river in the north, so you can see that the player characters pretty much have to traverse the whole map to get up there and really start the plot. If their journey were full of random encounters, that would be one thing. That would be one boring thing. Just another hour has passed, something harms you. Pay hit points to proceed through life. But of course, this wandering monster random encounter bullshit is just a pale imitation of the wandering damage of real life, hunger, thirst, and fatigue. The author in this instance has decided to pile adventure fiction random encounters on top of the real-life concerns of food, water, shelter, fatigue, and the result is, predictably, a lingering frustration very reminiscent of real life. Enough for me, let's see what this chapter has to say for itself. Quote, Because of all the people and wild animals dumped into the region, traveling in and around Dodge City can be quite dangerous. Refer to this chapter any time the heroes want to travel from one area to another throughout the course of the adventure. This is not one and done. This is not a journey we take, and that's one leg of the adventure. Every time we want to go anywhere, we have to revisit this. Now, on the podcast, of course, because of the format, we're not going to do that. We're not going to talk about this every time we move from place to place. But for the players and the judge, this will be a constant issue. So after a little preamble about how there's one solution to this plot, and that's to get Alexander, Napoleon, and Genghis Khan all on the same page fighting the Crows are, 
which, like, we played all this in World War II. We have abandoned all hope of alternative solutions being accepted. We understand what the plot is. We now move on to the main event pain in the ass of this chapter. Quote, Allow the players to refer to the large-scale map of the area printed on the fold-out map sheet. There is another map of the area on the same map sheet, which contains some information that is not on the player's map. Quote, Each area on this map represents two miles of terrain. Place a spare die or one of the hero's markers on the area where the heroes begin. Travel on the map is conducted in two-hour turns. Each turn, allow the heroes to move their marker on the map. The speed at which the heroes can travel is based upon the movement rate of the slowest individual hero. Excellent. I was looking for a reason to put a bar of soap in a sock and beat the slowest player character in the group. Now I've found it. What comes next is a table, the movement table, which tells us how many areas and therefore miles we can move for every two-hour turn based on the lowest speed in the group, which is based not on agility, as you would expect for like a sprint, but on endurance, since this is long, long-term overland travel. I won't bore you with the details. The movement rules are not really recapped here, and I'm certainly not going to recap them. Suffice it to say, movement rules exist, rules for how fast in miles per hour you can move based on different movement rates, different modes of travel are all given in the rule book, but they are ignored here. This movement table is what we will be using, and in case you're wondering, no, it does not match the figures that you would get if you used the real rules instead of the Ray rules, the Ray Winninger rules presented here. So at the end of each two-hour turn, you roll a d10. If you get a one to four, then you have an encounter. And whenever you have an encounter, you roll a percentile on the encounter table. I don't know when is the last time I saw a random encounter table in the wild, like actually living, breathing at the table. But keep in mind, this is 1989. If you think of all the words you were allowed to say in movies in the 80s, that's the kind of judgment and taste that people had. Not that I'm against all random encounter tables. Some of them are fun, and I've actually used them in the past. But that's a topic for another time. Suffice it to say that when I do it, it's good, but when this book does it, it's bad. I'm not going to get into the details of the random encounter table here, because we're going to be talking about all these different things you can encounter as we proceed. The pages coming up are full of these random encounters. What I really want to talk about is, number one, the movement rate across this map, because this is very relevant to at least one of the teams we're following, and number two, some rules that we're not going to get until the end of this section, but which are very relevant to our discussion throughout it, so I'm going to peek ahead to them now. First of all, if the lowest speed in the group is poor, you move two areas per round, which means for every two hours, the group can move two areas. Each area is two miles. Therefore, the group can move two miles per hour if the slowest speed in the group is poor. For the Misfits, they've got Glass Cannon, and Glass Cannon has been a great boon to the team so far, basically immune to rubber lizard attacks. But under that crystalline armor that has served her so well, Glass Cannon is fundamentally a waifish teenager who survives on mostly coffee, and is part-time made of glass, she has an endurance of feeble. Speed is based on endurance, and therefore this group's land speed is feeble. That's, that's off the chart. That's off the chart slow. This does mean that every two miles they have to roll for a random encounter. It does mean that it is going to take them about five and a half turns, which is like 11 hours, to get to Alexander's camp, which is the closest general's camp they can shoot for. Keep in mind that they are on a 48-hour timer because the Crozar will be launching their assault in 48 hours. At least that's what the documents in the research shack said. And throughout our exploits in this adventure path, random pieces of paper have never steered us wrong. So let's assume we're on a 48-hour timer. We're going to take 11 of those hours to walk our slow asses across this map to Alexander. This is going to take us five and a half turns, 
which means at least five times we are going to have to roll for encounters. But that's not all. Just skipping ahead real quick to page 24. Each turn, so every two hours, every four miles that the Misfits move, they all have to drink water or make a good intensity endurance feat to avoid losing one effective power rank on all of their physical attributes. Now, for those of you doing the math at home, of whom there are none, what that means is that after two hours, one turn, if Glass Cannon doesn't get some water, she is going to have to make a good intensity endurance feat with her feeble endurance. If she fails it, she will lose one rank of endurance, which will bring her to shift zero endurance, aka almost dead. Now, speed is based on endurance, and the rules don't exactly cover this, but my feeling is when you're at shift zero endurance, you are somewhere on a spectrum of unconscious to useless and cannot effectively move over the map. So if Glass Cannon doesn't get any water in the first two hours she's out here, she's basically going to become unable to walk and we're going to be stuck. We don't want to leave her behind because if we do that, then after two more hours, she's going to have to make another similar roll. And if she loses another rank of endurance, she's going to slip below shift zero and she'll probably die of thirst. But water is not our only concern. Every four turns, keeping in mind that it will take about six and a half to reach our first destination, we must eat food. If we do not eat food, we must pass a typical intensity agility feat, which is the strangest goddamn ad hoc rule maybe that I've ever seen. Roll agility to resist hunger. Okay, this is a very action-packed confrontation I'm having with hunger. You may recall, if you've been following the TVA archives over on Patreon, that uh, another member of the group, Advika Ja, has feeble agility, which means, inexplicably, that she is bad at dancing, bad at dodgeball, and needs to eat every four hours or she'll slip into a coma. So we need water and food. The good news is that we can hunt for food on the road. We'll talk more about that later. The bad news is hunting takes time. The more time passes, the more water we have to drink. And the more water we're supposed to drink and don't, the more dead glass cannon becomes. So you can already see there is a complex and extremely boring trade-off of resources and costs happening here. But that wasn't enough for the author. We also need to worry about sleep. Quote from page 24. Every eight turns, the heroes must each make a typical intensity endurance feat or lose one column on all of their ability ranks until they are able to sleep for at least three turns. Now, there are limits to how many effective power ranks you can lose from each of these hunger, thirst, and fatigue. But if you've got a feeble score in anything, which the Misfits happen to have two feeble scores on the team, even one failed roll on any of these is enough to incapacitate you. So you may be thinking, yeah, dumbass, you're going to walk across the whole goddamn desert to go meet Alexander the Great. You might want to bring water. Well, yeah, I know that. But apparently the author of this game didn't think I'd be stressing about it too much because there's no mention of the possibility, really, of like getting water before I start walking across the desert. You do start with one unit of water, enough for two hours of travel across the desert. If you were inducted into the Crozar's slave army, they did outfit their people with one unit of food and water. But for the Misfits, who just like snuck into the Crozar camp, looked around the research shack, snuck back out, they were never captured, so they were never given a canteen. So they would have to find their own water. But the main water source is the river up in the north of the map, which is where like Alexander and Genghis Khan and Napoleon are. Naturally, their camps are set up on the river because their troops need water. We are far in the south, far from a water source, which I think is probably a subtle way of pushing us north. Like, I mean, I say subtle. It's well over 100 degrees. You have no shelter and all the water is north. What do you do? I think that's the false choice that the author envisions here for the player characters. 
but it's a little too punishing, especially if you have a slow speed like we do. And I feel like it needed to be addressed that if we've got somebody like Glass Cannon on the team, I'm not fucking leaving until I've got some water. So where is the water? There's no mention of sources of water around here. There are some random encounters that provide water, but it's only like a third of the encounters, and you only have an encounter 40% of the time. So you'd expect to score water maybe once every eight or nine turns in the field. That's 16 to 18 hours. I can't wait 18 hours to happen to run across somebody who thinks I've got a cute face and decides to hand me a big jug of water. I need to drink water now or I'm going to die. Now for real, put yourself in this situation. Think about the map. If you happen to be looking at the map, what would you do in this scenario with someone like Glass Cannon who you are sure she is going to drop dead if she doesn't have water to drink? Where do you get water? What I would do is apply reason to the problem, which is never going to work in this adventure path, but I can't stop. I would apply reason to this problem and say, there are like at least 150 crows are, I think it's safe to say, based on the number that we saw at the camp, if we took the misfits path, they're surviving, right? They seem to be a nice vibrant green. I didn't see a lot of them lying dead on the ground at the camp. So things seem to be going well on the hydration front for them. Where are they getting water? At this point, I would pull out a piece of paper, both in and out of character, and I would do some math. Now, as a quasi-professional podcaster, I already have some math ready to go in the oven from earlier. So let's take a look at my conclusions. I'm just going to quote from my comment on this page where past Chris did this math. Quote, where the fuck are the Crozar getting their water? It would take a nine Crozar team just to be self-sustaining. Eight of them working 25 hour shifts with six hour rests in between would just be able to produce enough water surplus to support one non-water lizard to hunt enough food to feed almost nine Crozar. That's if they're getting water from the river right by Alexander's camp. I don't see how they would have time for anything else unless they've got an alternate water source. I'd want to interrogate them about that. So yeah, these 150 lizard people, 150 plus, I mean, they've got slave troops and everything. They're in the desert too. They got to drink water every couple of hours or they're going to start losing stats and eventually they're going to pass out, right? Where is this water source? I have a disabled member of the team with a serious mobility issue. I have a member of the team who could literally die two hours into this hike. She's so fragile. I'm not taking that on when what I could do is grab a fucking lizard person, one of the few plentiful resources in this environment, and slap the shit out of that lizard until they tell me where they get their drinking water. Then I'll go there, because as it happens, the fragile member of my team is also a real badass when it comes to fighting rubber skin lizard people, and I'll fight all the lizards who are there drinking water, and I'll load up some jugs and some canteens, and then I'm all set. The dumbest thing on this page is that as we embark on this extremely annoying journey across the desert surrounding Dodge City. It is going to be essential to our survival that we have access to water. That's going to be the main thing bringing us down. And we start next to a military community of like 150 soldiers with no explanation, no thought given, no no rational justification for how these 150 lizards are surviving with no water source. It is the most logical thing in the world that I would pump them for this information And if I'm the judge in this scenario, I don't know what to say. And before anyone suggests it, no, it's not that these lizards need a lot less water than human beings. We're going to find when we fight lizards randomly in our hike across the desert, because of course we are. It wouldn't be the Old West without alien lizards. When we fight them, we're going to find that they carry canteens just like everybody else, because they need water. How the author did not foresee us roughing up a Crozar and demanding water, I do not know. But it is a major, major, major oversight. Anyway, now that we've got all this 
grinding, punishing real life stuff out of the way about how to survive in the desert, how much water you need, etc. Join me next time as a bunch of random encounters. Just feel free to shit all over the logic of this dramatic situation on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's theme music, used under Creative Commons license, is Western Firefight 2 by Kula, whose work you can find at kula.com. That's C-U-L-L-A-H dot com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>